0: I uh, certainly concur with Steve how August has seemed to just been falling, but I know what's going to happen. As soon as we cross over that Labor Day threshold, we're going to be on fast forward, and y'all are going to wake up and be cooking turkeys and wrapping presents, and the rest of the year is just going to fly by. It seems to be how things go. Uh, I will tell you that uh, some exciting things are happening here in the next week, uh, because we are changing over what we uh, designate as a quarter for our Bible classes. And so we've got uh, another new round of Bible classes coming up. And, and Eric and uh, I know our children's ministry team have been uh, feverish uh, these last few months preparing for this and getting teachers and subjects and all that lined up. And so uh, you'll be hearing more about that as this week progresses and we move towards uh, next, next week as we change classes. I do want to tell you about one, though. I want to uh, hopefully explain a little bit. One that you're going to see because it's one that I'm involved with. And uh, I'm calling this thing the uh, Bible Book Club. Would you advance that for me, please, Robert? The Bible Book Club. And you look at that and you go, well, what is that? Well, that's what I want to tell you about it this morning. This is a community focus. And so uh, we've done some, some different things over the years of uh, trying to connect with those in our community. Uh, we've done so much as we put... You know, signs up. Come here. We put one up. We got one in the front yard right now that says, "Come here on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible classes. Come here at 10 a.m. for worship. Come here at 5, a, 5 p.m. and assemble with us. Come here at Wednesday night. We've got these signs. We've got social media that says, "Come here. Here's where we are." Well, this is one that I need your help with because just as we put that sign out there, and it doesn't mean that people are just going to hit their brakes and come piling into the parking lot. It depends on whether or not they are invited. And we know someone we can invite to worship and to Bible class with us. This particular class is designed to read through the Bible. But we're going to read through it as a literary book. We're not going to sit down and go through verse by verse and and uh, you know what's the Greek behind this and what did, you know, what's the the Hebrew history and all of that. We're going to read it as literature. Because when you read the Bible in its pure form, the Spirit speaks through the Word, right? Doesn't Scripture tell us that? And so what I want to do is I want, I want to invite people here who are curious and interested in reading the Bible. They may not be interested in God yet. They may not be interested in Jesus yet. But they're interested in literature. And then see how the Spirit works through this. And so what I'm asking you to do is to tell your friends, we're calling this the Bible Book Club, because it's not a Bible class. We're going to read through, and I'm going to, we'll start with a book of the New Testament, We're probably going to start in Mark, and we're just going to read it, just as you would read a, a book that you were assigned. And so as we read that book, we're going to come back together each week on Wednesday nights at... 7 o'clock, and we're going to... What, what spoke to you this week? You know, what did you read? What was interesting? What characters were there? And so as, as this is handled and dissected like any other book club, I'm curious as to what doors this might open. So this, we're going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try it for a quarter and see how it goes. I'm going to put it... There will be a, a banner out there on the fence. This will be on our website. It will be on social media. It's not going to mean one thing to somebody Unless they're invited. You know somebody who may not be connected to a church, who may not even really be have a connection to God, but they're curious. Maybe they like to read. Maybe they like to, to find out about new subjects, new topics. This is for them. It's going to be an informal environment, and we're just going to read the Bible and see what happens. So, I want to want to explain that to you a little bit. If you got questions about it, see me, but when you see this advertised, you know what it is. So, uh so that's that, the Bible book club. Pray for this. This is a community this is my attempt to reach out to this community in 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 some way. And and see, I don't know how God is going to work through anything that we do at Summer's Avenue. But if we don't do anything, I got a feeling God's not going to have much to work with. So we've got to do, doing something. So you can come to this, but it's geared, it's specific. My intention is for people who don't have a connection to be in here because that's kind of, that's kind of how we're going to handle it. So there it is. Um, and feel free if you got questions to ask me about it. Henry Ford, uh, if you know your history or car buffs, you know Henry Ford opened car ownership to the working class and he did that and it changed the face of the country and eventually change the the face of the world, right, with transportation. And so it is attributed to him, this saying, any customer can have any color car they want so long as it's black. And so, yeah, how about that? So Henry's thinking was that by limiting the choices, he would not only build this brand loyalty, but he would also have this efficiency in production. So you limit the choice and you you keep things kind of in in a tight ship. Well, obviously that plan changed. Because all you got to do is drive up and down the the access road here, right? We're saturated all over this country for sure with automobiles. Every size, shape, color, every make and model that you can imagine. Brands within brands as you go and you shop. And maybe you even got micro features that are line itemed for each particular model so that your Ford and your Toyota or your whatever can be the same model as mine and look completely different. And so that's where we are today. I go to Walmart, and I've mentioned this many times, I spend half an hour trying to decide what toothpaste I'm going to get. I've used the same toothpaste for years, but I might miss, maybe there's something new. Maybe there's something here I haven't seen before. Maybe there's something here that's going to make my teeth whiter or my breath fresher. And I might miss it. And so I spend this time, and I'm looking, and I'm searching, and so we search for the better solution. I stand at McAllister's. I went to McAllister's about a week ago, I guess. I stand there and I'm mesmerized by the plethora of items that I can choose from. And so I search the menu and I'm looking at the fine print because I want to make sure that that I don't miss something that might be better, might taste better, might be a better bargain than last time. And so I'm just stuck on these choices. We demand choices and yet we're paralyzed by the availability of choices. It's the American dilemma. How pitiful are we, right? we got so many choices. But God created us for choice. He created us to choose. He gave us the ability to freely choose. He gave Adam and Eve the freedom of choice. The Israelites were led by God from a land where they could have any car they wanted so long as the color was black. (laughs) He led them to a land where they could have not only any car they wanted, but any color they wanted and as much as they wanted. The land of promise. The land of milk and honey. And so God said, Yet you must choose. You've got to choose. I give you all of this, but I still want you to choose. Joshua commanded the people as they were getting ready to enter that promised land in Joshua 24 and verse 15 if you have no desire to worship the Lord, then choose today whom you will worship, whether it be the gods whom your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. So, your way or God's way. That's always our choice. I do it the way I want to do it or I do it the way God wants me to do it. Now, the goal is, God's goal, is eventually my way, the way I want to do it, is the same as God's way. And so that's what we're working towards and He's, he's building, growing us to, into all things, into Jesus Christ. And so... For all of the kings that were before him who led the people away from God, King Ahab was on steroids. He was on steroids. And so God's prophet Elijah was sent to pronounce God's judgment. We've been in 1 Kings and looking at this episode, this confrontation, this epic encounter between the false gods of this world and the one true God of of creation, of eternity. God our Father. And so Elijah was sent to pronounce God's judgment on this king who promoted idolatry and on the people who tolerated it. And so for three years now, not a drop of rain has fallen from the sky. Not a drop of dew has moistened the ground. And down at the neighborhood market, the people are not struggling with white or wheat. (laughs) They're not up at Kroger trying to make a decision about what 10 for 10 am I going to get. They're starving to death. Literally. They're starving to death. And so now it's time for Elijah to do what prophets do. It's time for him to face the king. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17, we continue. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is it really you the one who brings disaster on Israel? O troubler of Israel! And Elijah replied, I have not brought disaster on Israel, but you and your father's dynasty have by abandoning the Lord's commandments and following the Baal." Now send out messengers and assemble all Israel before me at Mount Carmel, as well as the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, whom Jezebel supports. Jezebel, King Ahab's wicked wife, foreign wife, who has influenced this kingdom and influenced this king, a king who allowed his heart to be led away. These foreign gods. And Ahab sent messengers to all the Israelites and had the prophets assemble at Mount Carmel. I can imagine if this had happened today, instead of in 9th century B.C., you would have ESPN out there, you'd have the the SEC network, you'd have Fox, you'd have CBS, you'd have NBC. They would be at war for broadcast rights over this this epic event to show this. And I can see it now, even the, the locker room interviews. Would be televised. You'd have the high priest of Baal stepping up to the microphone to, you know, to give his, his, uh, you know, outcome or what he thinks his fight's gonna go by. It would have been billed as, as, as Super Baal 1. Yes, I did that. Super Baal 1. Y'all get it in a minute. 800, think of 850 false prophets against 1. Can you imagine this? Steve, my is gonna be back next week. I didn't want to overdo the umbrella. But can you imagine walking up this mountain carrying his umbrella as Elijah goes and faces off against these hundreds of false prophets? Can you imagine the Vegas odds on that? But remember, remember as we've seen, those are trees. And we get lost in the trees. And God wants us to see the big picture. He's trying to show Israel Remind them of the big picture, the forest, the big picture. This is is false, fake gods of Baal here against the one true God of Israel, the God of the universe. And when we were studying Ephesians, we were reminded of the big picture. As Paul wrote to those Christians, there's always this battle going on. Don't think it's just you and don't think it's just now. There's always been this battle, a spiritual battle, against forces that are unseen but certainly felt certainly have to be dealt with. Good versus evil. And so the choices of life, the experiences of life, they're simply trees that make up this big picture. And so it's about to get 4K Ultra HD up here on Mount Carmel. This picture's about to get real clear. So Elijah and these false prophets come to this coastal mountain range, this this beautiful area of northern Israel here. And so they assemble. And Elijah approached all the people. And he said, you can imagine, the echo out over this valley here. He said, how long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? How long is it going to be before you make a choice? If the Lord is the true God, then follow Him. But if Baal is, then follow Him. But the people did not say a word. Flashback. Flashback. Joshua stood before the people at Shechem. And now we see Elijah before the people here at what is the most holy place of Canaanite, false god worship now. See, they've been straddling the fence. They've been straddling the line here between two gods, limping between two decisions, crippled by their indecisiveness. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the Baals? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You get that question all the time. Where do you want to eat? You want, you, want, uh, you want to get fast food or you want to eat at a sit-down restaurant? Yes. <laughs> I just want to eat. I don't care what. I just want to eat. That's where the people are. God, Baal, hey, we'll just serve somebody. We'll serve them both. Indecision. Oh, how we want it both ways. See, I really like some of God's ways. I like the way God wants me to do some things, but I also like to let my hair down a little bit. I like to do things my way. I like to loosen up and just do what feels good. I like to let my tongue loose. I like to give my thoughts free rein. Just let them run free every now and then. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. So how's that going for you? See, serving God cannot be an appointment on our calendar. It can't be a date that we circle. It can't be an hour a week that we schedule into our lives. Obeying God cannot be a seasonal event. Oh, God gets Sunday, I get the fun days. We can't live like that. How long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision in your life? The point is there can only be one God. So who's it going to be? Elijah tells the people, you still have to choose. You still have to choose. If the Lord is the true God, Of course He's the true God. He means if He's the true God to you, then follow Him. But if Baal is, then follow Him. The people did not say a word. It seems reasonable to think that Ahab and all these people were expecting Elijah to pray for rain and it was just going to downpour. I mean, he prayed for rain and it stopped. He's assembling all of us. He's going to go up there. He's going to holler some chant. God's going to finally release the rain. But neither Ahab nor the people were ready. They weren't ready for God's blessing of rain. See, the Lord had them under judgment for neglecting His Word and for their idolatry, which they'd even failed to acknowledge. Silence. They wouldn't even acknowledge the sin that they were living in. They had some serious issues in their lives that had to be faced before God could release the blessing back to them. But in life, oh, how we want We want God's blessing. We want the blessing without facing the responsibility, the relationship with God. We want God to bless us without any commitment to God. We want to straddle the fence. And the whole time, we're just limping along. A lot of people love the Bible, but they don't love the message of the Bible. So they appeal to this this desire, this want of blessing without calling attention to man's real need. It's even mentioned in Scripture, that's laid out in Scripture in front of us. And when Elijah calls them to face their sin, to choose repentance, crickets. Nothing. No response. The people did not say a word. can't imagine how deafening the silence must have been. That many people assembled and nobody would speak, afraid to speak. Because see, if they choose God... If I choose God, I'm going to have to admit that I've been against Him following these bales. And if I choose the bales, and I'm going to reject whatever blessing I think God may eventually provide for us. So what would they do? They limped along. We can't make a choice. We won't make a choice. We're going to have it both ways. Elijah says, no, you're not. You're not. God doesn't provide two ways. He provides one way in truth and life. Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Elijah struggled with that, didn't he? He struggled with that. Obadiah was still around. Elijah still feels like he's the only one. I can imagine standing in front of this crowd, in this situation, in this moment, with nothing but his umbrella, not a drop of rain. God, we're going to do this, right? You sent me here for a reason, right? I'm the only prophet left. But there are 450 prophets of Baal. So let them bring us two bulls. Let them choose one of the bulls for themselves and cut it up into pieces and place it on the wood. But they must not set it on fire. And I will do the same to the other bull and place it on the wood. But I will not set it on fire. Then you will invoke the name of your God and I will invoke the name of the Lord. And the God who responds with fire will demonstrate that He is the true God. And all the people responded. This will be a fair test. He finally gets a response. And how ignorant of all the things you're going to respond to, you respond to the most ignorant question. Hey, your God's going to beat my God, right? Yeah, that feels good. Let's do it this way. See, Baal worship was Seasonal. Baal was this god of the storm, the god of of this uh, of rain, and 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 so he, the people believed that these Canaanites believed that Baal brought the rain in autumn, and then in summertime he was killed by one of the other gods, but he would resurrect, he would come back to life, and so when he came back to life, the evidence of that was the rain that came. But in fact, every year. In their minds, in their beliefs, in their history. This is what had happened. Baal would always prevail. In fact, he's called Baal the overcomer. Why? Because he always comes back. He would come back out of the netherworld and locked in combat with the god Mott who would try to overwhelm him. But Yet he would prevail and bring the storm. And the priests of Baal believed that they could manipulate Baal and manipulate these other gods to do what they wanted them to do. So Elijah's playing right into their hands because Elijah knows. He knows who's got his hand on the spigot. And that's the God who created rain. It ain't going to rain. <laughs> it's not going to rain until God says. So Elijah says, alright. I'll give you home field advantage. We'll play on your turf. This is your turn. Let's do this. So Elijah told the prophets of Baal, you choose one of the bulls. You're the majority. Invoke the name of your God, but don't light a fire. And so they did what he... Told them to do. They invoked the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us! Crickets. Not a sound. They jumped around on the altar they had made. This wasn't crazy. This is how they, they worshipped these false gods. They jumped around and they yelled and they hollered and they whooped. They acted crazy. Trying to invoke some god. And at noon, Elijah mocked him. He's, I'm not gonna imagine Elijah's sitting back. He probably brought, I don't know, he brought a comfortable chair. Maybe he opens his umbrella for a little shade, and he's sitting back and he's watching this. Because he knows. He knows what's coming. So he mocks him. Yell yeah, louder! Hey, louder. After all, he's a God. Maybe he's in deep thought. Maybe just thinking. Perhaps he stepped out for a moment. <laughs> I love this. I love the rawness of Scripture. This is why I just want to sit down with people and read it. Maybe he stepped out. You know what we would say? Maybe he's in the bathroom. That's what Elijah Hey, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he stepped out for a moment. That's what it means. Maybe he's taking a trip. Maybe he's out of town. Perhaps he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. So what do they do? You rouse them up. They yell louder. Can you imagine the noise? The deafening noise. In accordance with their prescribed ritual, they mutilated themselves with swords and spears until their bodies were covered with blood. Can you imagine the chaos and the thundering from this mountainous noise? But that's exactly what we do when we are frantically trying to get some response, some relief from the false gods of the, the, the lust of the eyes and the lust of our flesh and the pride of life. Answer me! Fix this! Make it better! We're no different. And throughout the afternoon, they were in this ecstatic frenzy. But there was no sound, no answer, no response. Baal was still just as dead as he had always been. And they stood there humiliated and defeated before this lone prophet of God. And so then Elijah says, all the people, approach me! Because I don't want you to miss this. So all the people approached him and he repaired the altar of the Lord. See, they had torn down the altar of the Lord on this place. And they built this altar to the false gods. And so he repairs it. He rebuilds it. He takes 12 stones corresponding to the number of tribes that descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord had said, Israel will be your new name. He takes 12 stones and He places them there. 12 stones. People, remember, you are one people of the Lord God. And so He makes a visual image for them. And with the stones, He constructed an altar for the Lord. And around the altar, He made a trench large enough to contain two seas of seed. Several quarts. Several quarts there. He arranged the wood and cut up the bull and placed it on the wood. Elijah's sweating now. All the people standing around watching him and he's doing this. He's building this and digging this and preparing this. And then he says, fill four water jars and pour the water on the offering and the wood. And so they come up to the altar and they pour it over this carcass. And it runs down. They pour it on the wood. He says, do it again. So they go fill it up and they come back and they pour it again. He says, do it again. And they go back and they fill it up and they come back and they pour it over there and it's running over. They did it three times. Twelve buckets of water. Twelve stones, twelve buckets. Remember, you are still one people. You are the people that God called out of a foreign land to be His people. Remember, sometimes we got to have our memory jogged and the water flowed down all the sides of the altar and filled the trench. And when it was time for the evening offering, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Prove today that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant and have done all these things at Your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that You, O Lord, are the true God and that You are winning back their allegiance. And after all of the frenzy and all of the violence and all the futility of humanity trying to control His own destiny, Elijah praised this simple prayer. Fire fell from the sky from the Lord. It consumed the offering. Then the wood. Then the stones. It consumed the dirt. It licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they threw themselves down with their faces to the ground and said, The Lord is the true God. The Lord is the true God. And the kingdom of Israel might have been divided politically, but it was never God's intention that they be divided spiritually. He wanted them to worship. He wanted them to worship Him, the Lord who was worshipped in Jerusalem, the Lord God of Israel, the Lord who had delivered them from Egypt, the One who had through the wilderness and the land led them to this promised land, the One who drove the Canaanites out from before them so that they could inhabit the land, they could possess it. The One who gave them vineyards they did not plant. And the Israelites reaped the harvest of fields they had never sown. They lived in villages that they did not build. And the Lord had done all of this for them. He protected them. He preserved them. And it was always His intention that they would trust Him and count on Him for their blessings. So He's the One who provided the law for them. That if they would obey Him, obey His law, He would ensure their fertility. There would always be adequate rainfall. The land would always be provided for. Their needs would always be met. And see, for Israel, the issue of fertility was always spiritual and moral. It was never about the ground. It didn't happen. It didn't occur through some ritual practices, some some forms of worship. It was the natural result of this relationship with God. When they sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all of these other things were added to them. That's the God of grace. What a God of grace. So this wicked nation that stubbornly refuses to obey the Lord is being given another opportunity. God's giving them another chance. Another chance to turn their hearts back. And this moment is God's moment. It's God's moment of turning the hearts of the people back to Him. But do you see how sad this moment is? How sad it is that God has to convince His people that He's God. He's still doing that for us today. Still trying to convince us that He is worthy to be praised, worthy to be honored, worthy to be worshipped. How sad it is He has to perform this miracle to get His people to listen and believe and obey. And how sad it is that we, like the Pharisees in the days of Jesus, we constantly demand a sign in order to believe. Stubborn hearts that won't believe. But God loves His people. And God will go to great lengths. How great a length. Punish them to get their attention because He loves them so much to turn their hearts back to Him. And Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let even one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah led them down to the Kishon Valley and he executed them there. And we go, wow! Man! That ain't really Christian there, is it? We think that. Elijah carried out. Elijah did here what the people should have done years ago. God commanded in the law that false prophets would be executed. That ain't the God of the New Testament. I'm not trying to be funny. I just want us to think. Why would God do this? He does this because you cannot let a poisonous snake Run free in your house and think that you will not eventually get bit. God knows that whatever sin we allow to hang around in our life will eventually take us over. If nothing else, it certainly has the potential to. You've got to rid your life of anything that can come between you and God. You can't straddle the fence. You cannot coexist. Otherwise, you are spiritually crippled or worse. So we have to choose. We have to make a choice. And it's right to be careful in our choosing. We need to be thoughtful. We need to ask God for wisdom in our choices and seek Scripture and seek out wise Christians that can help guide us and lead us to make those decisions. The bigger decisions. And the bigger those decisions, the more careful we should be. But there comes a point when pausing, when procrastination, when waiting too long no longer becomes wise. There comes a point when not to choose becomes idolatry because it becomes a lack of trust in God. God has told us, choose. Make your choice and here's how you choose and here's what you should choose. And so it becomes a lack of trust in God who ordains the decisions that we make. The God who gathers up the frayed ends of our wrong decisions, our crippling decisions, and pieces them all back together and works those for our good and His glory who do we trust trust that God is sovereign God not only redeemed us from sin when Christ died on the cross he redeemed us from sinful choices because he expected us to choose life is about choosing and even the choices of those who murdered his own son were, were ordained by God for infinite good they were used for good and that's So how can we doubt how He intends good to come from our choices? However ill-advised they may be. Perhaps you've been living like the starving person who's sitting in front of the all-you-can-eat buffet. Sitting there trying to decide, chicken or shrimp, chicken or shrimp, wilting away, starving to death because they cannot decide. Maybe that's you. See, Satan promises you that by keeping your options open, hey, keep your options open, then you can have everything and everyone. But far from that truth, The father of lies wants us to believe that because in the end you get nothing and you get no one. So where in your life do you need to make a definitive choice about God and for God? Is it in your marriage? Do you need to make a definitive choice to honor God in your marriage? Do you need to make a definitive choice about something in your job? Something in a relationship? Something with a child? Something with a friend? Where is it in your life that you need to make a definitive choice for God? Or how long have you been flailing about spiritually or physically hurting yourself, trying to coax an answer out of some false god of self-worship, some false god of this world, trying to find an answer when all the while Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, has been waiting on you to just simply whisper, help me. God, help me. all God wants is for us to choose Him. And even in our failings to choose God. God, You're the only one who can help me in this time. What whispers are you listening to today? God has given us His Word. He's preserved this beauty, these magnificent, marvelous episodes in the life of creation to instill in us faith in Him. Because if he if he could lead a prophet to the top of a mountain in the most hostile environment that we can't even imagine, and ask him to do something that he can only construct in his mind, so that he can have the assurance that God's going to do something that God's never done before, then how is it that we can't trust God to lead us and guide us and do for us and just the what in relation to this seems like so simple things in our lives. Where's your heart today? Straddling the fence? Getting cramps in your legs because you keep leaning one way or the other? You just can't get any firm foundation? Jesus is our firm foundation. And God sent Christ to this world so that He could show us not only would He be perfect obedience for us, but He would show us this is what it looks like to choose that servant that Christ became for us. This is what it looks like to say, God, Your will, not My will be done. This is what it looks like so we can follow His example. And when we don't, and sometimes even when we think we can't, He came so that we would know, we would have assurance that when we come to God in repentance, that we have forgiveness because the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from our sins. And so this morning, What choice will you make? Will you choose Jesus? Will you choose His way? Will you choose God? If you've neglected that choice, God calls you back this morning. And if we can pray for you while we are assembled together to encourage you as you repent and you confess to God your sins, then we want to do that because that's what a family does. That's what the body of Christ does to remind each other that we are all trying to walk this narrow way. And we are all picking ourselves and each other up when we can't and don't. And if you've not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there will be fire, but it won't be from heaven. It be for eternity. God doesn't want that. But it's necessary to purify because you can't live in a house with a poisonous snake. And so God's house will be pure. Will you be there in it? Will I be there in it? Not without Christ not unless through Christ. So this morning, will you make Christ your Lord and Savior and be baptized into Him for the forgiveness of your sins and receive God's gift of His Spirit as a guarantee of what you can't see yet, but by faith know is coming. And that's eternal life. We can help you in any way possible in our way this morning as we assemble together. Will you come as we stand and sing this good song?